Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring. The flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. There's a new book called The Living Room, and joining us, uh, one of the authors, Bonnie Adaro. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. Well, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. A Lung Cancer Community of Courage, and this book is not out quite yet, but you can find it online, The Living Room. And I wanted to talk to you about your inspiration and really what is inside of this book, because when you talk about a lung cancer community, you know, there's a lot of examples that do come into play like here in St. Louis, it was a really big story when Rush Limbaugh announced last year that he had advanced exactly. lung cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then yeah. in February, him passing away, he's got a connection here because being in Cape Girardeau, KMOX was one of those stations that he listened to and was really inspired to. And actually his eternal resting place is here in St. Louis. So I think a lot of people may have been introduced to that side of it maybe learning exactly. a little bit more about it through his thing. So talking about it, it seems like yeah. more people have been talking about it lately, too. I think that's true. I think that's true. We have a long way to go, but that is true. Mm-hmm. When we talk about lung cancer and we talk about everything that goes into it, what are some of those things that people just don't understand? You know, people don't understand who the people are that actually get lung cancer. You know, uh, you know, for years and years, I'm, I'm a lung cancer survivor myself. I have one lung and, and you know, all kinds of things missing because of it. But, but I was a lucky one. And I promised myself in the Barco lounger when I was having chemotherapy that if I was able to survive and get through the knothole, I would do something about this very subject because people are under the misunderstanding that the only people that get lung cancer are people that smoke. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not true. Right. It's absolutely not true. 70% of the newly diagnosed patients, um, are either never smokers or they quit smoking decades ago. So we have to stop punishing them 
for quitting smoking. You know, they don't like being tagged as, as uh, you know, a smoker. They, they want to be, you know, thought of as a lung cancer patient, person, thriver, survivor, you know, doing what they need to do to get things done. Um, but we have, to, we have to make them feel good about themselves and not shame them. Is that something you see a lot where people are afraid to talk about the ailment that they have? And when you're talking about any type of cancer, it's kind of sad if you think that some people may feel they need to hide that because there is a stigma yep. attached to it. Do you actually find that people are afraid to, to tell other people? Well, uh, you know, this, uh, this is a great question. I'm glad you asked me this because there was, there was a lady when I was first diagnosed that I met and I just adored her. And she said, Bonnie, I have to tell you, when people ask me what kind of cancer I have, I tell them it's breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And she said, smoking, the smoking stigma is killing me. It's mm -hmm. killing a lot of lung cancer patients. Wow. that's. I think that when people think of lung cancer, you're right. right. The first thing wow. they think of is smoking. And, and I think in people's minds, they think, well, that's self-inflicted, yeah. so I don't have to feel bad for them. And that's terrible. Yep. It shouldn't be like that. Exactly. Well, uh, exactly. You, you don't well, wish that. We should feel bad for all cancer patients, yeah, it, regardless it, of what what kind they have. Yeah, and we we shouldn't be wishing that, or and, and that's really something that was difficult. And I'll bring Rush Limbaugh up again because such a big example sure. of that. You go online, yeah. and because he was a controversial figure, and people didn't like him, and some people did like him. And you saw that there was the one side that were really supportive for him, and you know couldn't wait to hear an update, and were really praying for a, something positive to happen in recovery. And then the exactly. other side was they're cheering for him to die. And you go online and you see that and they're, they're out there celebrating this. And I'm thinking, man, what it's is horrible. that? What, yeah, how do it's you horrible. take that? If you're a lung cancer, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and you see people out there are celebrating when someone else gets it, how does that make you feel? Yeah. Well, you know, it makes me and everyone else feel, you know, like, like we're failing, you know, that we not only have cancer, we're not able to survive because, you know, the research isn't happening as much as it is in other cancers. You know, more women die from lung cancer than breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And I never, I never want to make it sound like I'm making another cancer sound bad because I'm not. Mm -hmm. You know, we would love to have the survival rate that breast cancer has and colon cancer and prostate cancer, uh, you know, but we, we can't do that. I mean, here's these wonderful, beautiful people that are sick. They've had to quit their job. They're, they're suffering from financial toxicity. They've got so many things going on. And, and on top of it all, they have to deal with, you know, being shamed, huh. you know, and, you know, feeling like they have to hide in the shadows. And it's just terrible. So your book out May 4th, The Living Room, A Lung Cancer Community of Courage, and Bonnie right. Adaro joining us. What is your scope of the book? What are the things that you cover? My, 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 my the scope of the book was to bring 20 patients that I chose all, each and every one of them, very, very carefully because I wanted to show not only 20 patients with lung cancer, I wanted to show 20 patients that had a different kind of lung cancer. Mm -hmm. You know, there isn't just one lung cancer. There's multiple cancers. There's no two patients that are exactly alike. It's the most heterogeneic uh, cancer out there, and it's actually leading the way in the study of genomics, um, having a targeted uh, mutation and a targeted drug that matches up with it. 
mm-hmm. um, that keeps you alive a lot longer. Mm-hmm. So lung cancer patients are bringing about, you know, new therapies that are actually going to be um, helpful to all cancer patients, regardless mm-hmm. of whether it's lung or, or breast or prostate or what have you. Bonnie Adario is the author of The Living Room, A Lung Cancer Community of Courage. The book is out soon. You can actually look it up online, pre-order it now, and she's created a pretty great network of people that are dealing with lung cancer and a great support system with it, and tells the stories of those survivors, those fighting it, those with a chance, and uh, the messages that they have. If you're interested in that, you can look it up online. We'll continue with Bonnie Adario coming up right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Next Level Listening, News Radio 1120 AM, 98.7 FM, KMOX, the voice of St. Louis. And welcome back to Overnight America. I'm Ryan Recker. You can find me online, Ryan Recker Radio. That's a great place for you to like the Facebook page. We're getting so close to 1,000 likes on that. I would love to get it before I move to the middays. I know, I know. All right, so we're on the line with Bonnie Adario, author of The Living Room, A Lung Cancer Community of Courage. That's the name of her book. It's going to be out here soon. When you start to talk to different patients, um, are there any common threads, common stories that they share that surprised you? Well, you know, you know what surprises me, and one of the reasons I get up every day, um, this was probably about 10 years ago, there was this young little girl, her name was Jill Costello, and she um, was diagnosed, she was the coxswain of the Cal Berkeley crew team, and she was diagnosed with lung cancer when she was 21 mm-hmm. and she passed away when she was 22, when she coxed the team to the, um, the finals. Um, more than 20% now of lung cancer patients are young people between the age of um, 20 and 40 years old. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's a growing, it's a growing number amongst lung cancer. Wow. Wow. You know, I think that, I, I don't want to keep using Rush Limbaugh as an example, but I, I learned so much because of his uh, battle with sure. it and him talking about it. But he really, one day, he, he just said something didn't feel right, and all of a sudden he had advanced lung cancer, stage four, and he had no idea. Why is it that so many exactly. times that people just yeah. don't know? How You think normally that some of these some of these signs would start cropping up in your life, and you would think something's not right, but it seems like this pops up really quick. Right. Yeah. So it does. It, it actually doesn't pop up quick. It takes a long, long time. But it's because the lungs are so big mm-hmm. that tumors can do a lot of damage in there before you have any symptoms whatsoever. Wow. So are you is this something you should be screened for? Like, what's the procedure and what yes. age should you start getting yes. this looked at? Yes. Well, it's, it's very interesting you ask that question because, you know, um, lung cancer screening has been around for a while and they just increased the age that you qualify to get a CT screen paid for by your insurance um, at age 50. Mm-hmm. But that's not doing us any good at all. Mm-hmm. With more people under 50 getting lung cancer, we're not going to find all the people we need by screening. We need to open it up just like colon, breast, and prostate, where anybody can get a scan at any age, at any time. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I don't think I've ever been offered it, or nor did I ever think about it. Um, I'm 37, so what's the earliest age you should get a screening? 
the earliest age you can get a screening is um, uh, 50. But if it's in your family, um, you may be able to squeeze through if you find a great pulmonologist uh, out there that, that's willing to, you know, write, write the ticket for it. Right. Um, but 50 is too late. Yeah. We, we need to screen people earlier. And that's... You know, too many, too many of people that we find with lung cancer is because it's incidental. Let's say they get in a car accident and they're taken to the ER. They're taken to just check to see if they have an inter- any internal injuries or anything. And the good news, bad news, go back and tell the patient, good news, no problem from the car accident. Bad news, you have a huge mass on your lung. Wow. What, um, what are some of those things that, if you start to see it, like what are some of those signs, the symptoms that would indicate that it would be a priority for you to get in as soon as possible to get checked? Uh, a persistent, a persistent cough and shortness of breath. Um, you know, and and if you and if you have those, and you go to your primary physician or a pulmonologist, and they say, "Oh, well, let's give you an X-ray and see if there's anything there," just say no. Tell them you want a CT scan mm-hmm. because tumors can hide behind the heart. They can hide behind your your um, ribs. You want a 360-degree CT scan to see your entire chest area. Mm-hmm. How do you find yourself as a patient demanding something like that? Are doctors um, willing to do it? Or do you find that you have to be pretty, you know, you got to be on yeah, top of it. Like, you always have to be hounding them for uh, it. Well, you know what? I, you know, I'm glad you asked that, too, because that's that's a big part of the book that's out there. It's 20 patients, you know, different ages, different genders, different types of lung cancer. It just shows the world that anyone can get lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And when you're showing symptoms of shortness of breath and coughing, that's not something to be taken lightly. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't have x-ray after x-ray after x-ray and multiple antibiotics, you know, and they're not working. Yeah. And demand, demand a scan. You know, the book is The Living Room, A Lung Cancer Community of Courage. It's out on May 4th, so uh, a week from Tuesday. Yeah. They've moved it up to the 18th. Oh, so now May 18th. Ah. May 18th, yeah. You get the yeah. bump. I'm yeah. sorry. I had outdated information. But still, if anyone's interested, the uh, procedure would be the same. I'm sure they can look up The Living Room online and pre-order the book, have it delivered to them uh, once it's they released. Can. It's on Amazon. Absolutely. Yes, they can. Uh, Bonnie Adaro joining us here, and we're talking about her book, The Living Room. And I I wanted to also ask you about the community that you built. So the motivation of bringing people together to talk about this, do you find that it is difficult sometimes when people talk about lung cancer to others that don't really know about it, and it's just easier to talk to other people that are going through similar things? Do you find that community really um, harvests this this sort of understanding that people on the outside wouldn't understand. Absolutely, I, you know, absolutely. And and the reason the reason we named the book the Living Room was over ten years ago we started a program, um, and it's it's um, a, a live stream around the world, and we've reached a, a, over a million patients in 143 countries, and it's a support and education program. We have it once a month on the third Tuesday of every month. We bring in a key opinion leader to talk about lung cancer, but patients come as well. And the name of the program is called The Living Room because I was asked several years ago to go to a major academic hospital and talk to their support group. I walked in there. It was a great table, gray walls, great, great chairs, and, and great people. 
no windows. Hmm. And I thought, there is no hope in here at all. So when I left, after I talked to those beautiful people, I went to work and I told my team, I said, you're going to kill me, but we're, we're going to start this program. And we literally have a local TV station come to our office once a month and put on this massive program. And it's all about teaching and educating. And, you know, one person tells another. And then on the very first day we had the program, we had 60 people waiting outside to come in. Mm. That's how important it was for them to be around and be with other people that had lung cancer, too. Wow. Because those people weren't shaming them. Those people were celebrating them and hugging them. And we had a meal. We had we had uh, cold water. We had wine all donated. You know, people forget that when, when people have cancer, that they still have to work. Mm-hmm. You know, they're under the impression that when you have cancer, you get to stay home. Well, that's, that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. So it's a... Uh, that's why we call it the living room. People in this room are living, and they come to learn how to live. Wow. So do you think that the demand was underestimated for you? Maybe you didn't realize how many people would come out for a service like this. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and as time went on and more and more people came in, we said we didn't do we didn't do the live stream right away. Uh, but we said, how do we reach more people? This is crazy. Look at all these people waiting outside to get in. And one of the girls that works for us, she loved to do political radio shows, um, at not, at not radio shows, uh, live streams at night, mm-hmm. local TV station. And she said, well, we'll just live stream it. We'll live stream it. And I said, okay, you, you know how to do that. Let's do it. And we did it. And it's become one of the most popular lung cancer programs in the United States and beyond. Mm-hmm. I had a girl call me one time at the office from Prague, and she said, Bonnie, I watch your living room, and I need some help for my mom. I need to find a doctor here in Prague for her. So I did. I got a doctor's name and called her right back, and he sent he sent her his personal um, telephone number for his cell and, um, in Prague overnight. Had her a doctor within 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Wow. I... Uh... Um, I... I want to ask you about this because you hear stories from people that participate in the program and maybe you've heard stories of people and it inspired you to do more. Do you ever hear some of these stories and look at it and say, this was a, this is a real miracle that happened in this person's life. Have you ever heard stories like that? They're rare. They're rare, but we teach patients all the time that there are miracles around us all the time. And every so often, you know, one walks in and, you know, they they come in with the cure word. And, you know, it's beautiful to watch everyone else around them, congratulate them and hug them and, you know, are so happy for them. Um, Miracles do happen. And there's going to be more miracles in the future for lung cancer. I promise you that. Mm -hmm. The Living Room, a lung cancer community of courage. It's going to be out on May 18th. And you can pre-order the book now in author Bonnie Adario joining us. So some of the research that you've seen, what are some of the positive things on the horizon, things that you could ha- think could happen with the medical community that could be a game changer in the future? Okay, this, this, is, uh, this is a great question. Um, you know, because lung cancer has so many mutations, and what a mutation is, is it's what's in your tumor, and that mutation is actually driving 
your cancer. It's driving your lung cancer uh, in, in our case. And we have found now in, in just, this is probably just in the last 10 years, when I was diagnosed, there was a, a mutation out there called the EGFR mutation. And um, it was the only one in testing. And it's a genomic driver that is actually causing your cancer. Mm -hmm. And they matched up. The researchers worked really hard to find a drug that matched up with that mutation. Mm -hmm. And they did. They found several. And they have found several more since then. Now we have nine mutations for lung cancer that are matched up to targeted drugs that are only for that mutation. Mm -hmm. um, that is the biggest thing happening now in all cancer and lung cancer is leading the way wow leading the way well, that makes uh that gives you a lot of encouragement uh, yes and it's kind of like the BRCA gene that everybody knows about for breast cancer right that BRCA gene is the one that is driving that cancer mm. we've got nine we've got nine in lung that are like the BRCA gene that you know is is um uh Moving, moving things forward yeah. really, really quickly, really well, quickly. This is um, this this may sound like a weird question, and I, I hope it doesn't sound too too out there. But it makes me curious when you're part of a group well, of lung cancer patients and people that are that are fighting this right now, and you're you're speaking directly, and everyone is candidly talking about their experiences. Where do people put their hope? in survival? Do they look at it and say, well, there might be this new treatment that's coming out, or do they say, God's going to answer my prayers, or do they say that, um, you know, if things could just stabilize, it could be all right? Or wh where do people put their hope when they have lung cancer that you generally find? Well, right now, they put their hope on the fact that it's working, mm -hmm. that there are, more, there are more drugs now for lung cancer in the last five years than the last five decades. Mm, wow. That is hope. That is hope. That is huge amount of hope. And um, uh, five decades. Yeah. Nothing. And now, you know, same old thing, chemotherapy, you know, hook you up, hook me up, lose my hair, do all this, and then die. You know, and even this year, small cell lung cancer was one of the ones that had no targeted drugs for it. And now we have several. And research is going down that road for that group of people as well. As long as, the, as, as well as the people that have a KRAS marker, mm -hmm. there's been nothing for them all these all these years. And now there's there's uh, a few drugs for them as well. Wow. So and you know more importantly, yes, it's giving the patients hope, but it's giving the researchers hope because researching lung cancer never never brought anything to bear you know, five decades ago. Mm -hmm. But now since these positive things are happening, research are moving over to lung cancer from other cancers because they want to be part of the parade and part of the hope and part of this new generation of research and discovery. Mm. Bonnie Adaro is the author of The Living Room, A Lung Cancer Community of Courage. Again, if people wanted to look you up online or places to find the book, what's a good website? Well, a uh, good website is go to Foundation for Lung Cancer, and it's G-O with the numeral two. Um, and, you know, they can just Google me, and, you know, they'll, they'll find it. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, Bonnie Adaro, A-D-D-A-R-I-O, Bonnie right. Adaro. And if, they, and if they log on to Amazon, it'll pop up. 
The Living Room, A Lung Cancer Community of Courage is the book. It's out in a few weeks. You can pre-order, send it to yourself, or if you know someone else or a family that may be affected by this that could use a little encouragement, uh, send it to them. Just, you know, the nice thing about Amazon is that you could just ship it to someone else's address. It's going to be an easy thing for right. you to do, and you, they'll love it. You know, they'll, they'll have it delivered. It'll be a surprise to them, and you could be a real yeah. blessing to them for something like this. Uh, again, the book is called The Living Room, A Lung Cancer Community of Courage. And Bonnie Adaro, thank you so much for the time tonight on KMOX. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to speaking to you again as we um, we do more and more things that are benefiting people with lung cancer. Thank you. Very fascinating interview. And I'm glad that we had this time here today. And I hope it helped some people listening here tonight. She joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America, KMOX. What a great interview, and I'm really glad that we had her on as a guest. And I'm telling you, um, I know that there are people that needed to hear that message. Sometimes they are ashamed or whatever it is, and it's sad to hear that inside of the lung cancer community, that if you contract something along those lines, that you, you, you're afraid to tell people that. Is that's not right. So I'm glad that she said that. I'm glad that she came out there and said there are other people that are trying to break that. And I, I think it was worthwhile. I know that could help some people listening tonight. So we're live up until one o'clock. If you want to call in 314-436-7900. I saw that text message come through from Mary Lynn said, you're making me sad. I'll miss you on Overnight America. I know. I know. Last couple of shows. And on Monday, I'll be part of the new midday show here on KMOX, St. Louis Talks. I wanted to bring this one uh, speech to the forefront. And Tyler Perry was someone that was accepting an award. It was an achievement award for, I think, his charitable work and some of the different things that he would do. It's an inspirational speech that I thought was a fantastic speech that some people found controversial because he said you shouldn't hate people for the sake of hating people. That includes police officers, that includes people of color, that includes fill in the blank. You shouldn't just hate them to hate them. And it was, to me, the way he set up the speech, he's a fantastic storyteller. And you can listen to this and realize that there's a lot of problems we have still as a society. There's there's a lot of uh, people that hate to hate. And when he brought up the fact that you shouldn't hate police officers and use blanket judgment against them, I want you to listen very closely to that part of the speech because some people are saying that it was at that moment all the Hollywood elite inside of that room didn't show as much support to Tyler Perry after that. I want you to listen carefully to this. So here is his speech from the Oscars over the weekend. You know, when I set out to help someone, uh, it is my intention to do just that. I'm not trying to do anything other than meet somebody at their humanity. Like, uh, case in point, this one time, I remember I was, maybe it was about 17 years ago, I rented this building and we were using it for production. And I was walking to my car one day and I see this woman coming up out of the corner of my eye and I say, mm, she's homeless, let me give her some money. Judgment, I wish I had time to talk about judgment. Anyway, I reach in my pocket and I'm about to give her the money. She says, excuse me, sir, do you have any shoes? It stopped me cold because I remember being homeless and having one pair of shoes and they were bent over at the heels. So I was like, yeah. So I took her into, into the studio. She was hesitant to go in, but we went in. We go to wardrobe and there are all these boxes and everything around the walls and fabrics and cracks of clothes. So we ended up having to stand in the middle of the floor. So as we're standing there, we, I, wardrobe, we find some shoes, we help her put them on, I stand up. I'm waiting for her to look up. And all this time she's looking down 
She finally looks up. She's got tears in her eyes. She said, thank you, Jesus. My feet are off the ground. In that moment, I, I just I, I recall her saying to me, I thought you would hate me for asking. I'm like, how can I hate you when I used to be you? How can I hate you when I had a mother who grew up in a Jim Crow South in Louisiana, a rural Louisiana, right across the border from Mississippi, who at nine or 10 years old was grieving the death of Emmett Till. As she got a little bit older, she was grieving the death of the civil rights boys and the, the little girls who were in the bombing in Alabama. She grieved all, this, all these years. And I remember being a little boy and coming home, and she was at home, like, what are you doing at home? You're supposed to be at work. She was in tears that day. She said there was a bomb threat. And she couldn't believe that someone wanted to blow up this place where she worked, where she took care of all these toddlers. It was the Jewish Community Center. My mother taught me to refuse hate. She taught me to refuse blanket judgment. And in this time, and with uh, all of the internet and social media and algorithms and everything that wants us to think a certain way, the 24-hour news cycle, it is my hope that all of us would teach our kids, and not only to remember, just refuse hate. Don't hate anybody. I, I refuse to hate someone because they are Mexican or because they are black or white or LBGTQ. I refuse to hate someone because they are a police officer. I refuse to hate someone because they are Asian. I would hope that we would refuse hate. And I want to take this Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award and dedicate it to anyone who wants to stand in the middle no matter what's around the wall, stand in the middle, because that's where healing happens. That's where conversation happens. That's where change happens. It happens in the middle. So anyone who wants to meet me in the middle to refuse hate, to refuse blanket judgment, and to help lift someone's feet off the ground, this one is for you too. God bless you, and thank you, Academy. I appreciate it. Thank you. Ooh, wow. What a speech from Tyler Perry urging Americans not to hate each other, these blanket judgments. We have a lot of that that goes, uh, uh, I mean, there's an awful lot of that that goes on. One of the headlines I was looking at mentioned that when he mentions the police officers, not hating police officers because it's wrong to hate someone on a blanket judgment. Some people pointed out that the crowd was, uh, you know, not as into it as some of the other examples he used. I think that might be a little bit of a stretch for the criticism. I don't know if the crowd by itself, I think the applause was starting to wane before that. Let's, let's play that one more time. I want you to listen and tell me if you think the, the Oscar crowd would have uh, purposely started to lower their applause when they heard of police. Cycle. It is my hope that all of us would teach our kids and not only to remember, just refuse hate. Don't hate anybody. I, I refuse to hate someone because they are Mexican or because they are black or white or LBGTQ. I refuse to hate someone because they are a police officer. I refuse to hate someone because they are Asian. I would hope that we would refuse hate. And, you know, and he put Asian after that because of uh, some of the examples, but they didn't clap for that either. So th that's the thing. If anything, I would believe a crowd uh, at the Oscars would probably pick things back up if they purposely were trying to slowly slide out when the police officers were mentioned there. And I'm glad that he brought that up. And I think it's an important thing to bring up because you don't necessarily get that feeling from those that are celebrities all that often. I mean, there are a few that try to stay out of it and rightfully so, because they know if they get into it, there's probably going to alienate half of those that idolize these celebrities. 
but then there are a few that will stand up and say what is wrong is wrong and what's wrong. Like, let's take LeBron James, for example. What a terrible thing for him to take a police officer who was, by all accounts, justified in that police shooting, as shown on video as part of evidence, to go out there and try to turn the mob on this police officer for trying to save the life of someone trying to get stabbed? Are you kidding? Rightfully so, LeBron James got called out for that. But that's part of the culture that celebrities live in anymore. When there's anything that goes on and social media goes crazy, they immediately look at it and say, well, of course, the cop is the terrible person in this scenario. Well, of course, he's a murderer. Well, of course, he is racist. So they would do something like that. Of course, it's just something that they've built into the narrative. And how many times are they wrong? And how many times is the situation uh, looked at after the fact and you realize that these split second life and death uh, scenarios that come up have nothing to do with an officer that has an ill will against the person. And it's probably what you look at all of the different police shootings and the statistics, you can realize that deadly weapons are almost always a factor when this happens. And it's uh, it's a society that we live in where celebrities will be the ones that pat each other on the back day in and day out. Aren't the police just so terrible? And they're the ones that somehow continue to get a free pass to this. So when you have a Tyler Perry stand up and say this as part of a speech, which is maybe the part is, you know, instead of trying to make the police the bad guy, maybe we should start this uh, stop using this reputation that. All police officers are racist, hateful people. Maybe we need to stop this mindset, this mindset that we have to hate someone because of they're white or they're black or they're Mexican or they're Asian or whatever. Maybe this is the thing that's the uh, destroying us. Maybe this is the thing that is most dangerous. Or maybe you're LeBron James and don't care and you'll continue to do it anyway and try to dox the police officer and ruin his life because you have that platform and people are stupid and they don't care for what the truth is. They'll just follow it along because a basketball player told them to do so. You know, bravo to Tyler Perry. I think it's a worthwhile speech. I'm glad we had a chance to play it here. And I know that speech probably doesn't reach the same amount of people that a tweet from LeBron James would or fill in the blank celebrity that just seems to hate police uh, no matter what the scenario or no matter what the reality is of the uh, the different cases. But I wanted to at least give that time here tonight on Overnight America. 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120 if you want to call and talk about that. A few things I want to get to, and I saw that there are some local high schools that have been ranked top in the state and even some top in the country right here in the St. Louis region. And I saw this too, another story over at KMOX.com. St. Charles County residents ranked number one in Missouri with highest earnings, St. Charles County. I think there's a lot of people considering moving to St. Charles County because they want to get out of city and county politics. They're just not happy with any of it. So we'll talk about that after the break too on Overnight America KMOX. Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Okay, welcome back to Overnight America. We got a few minutes here and we're going to take a few of your calls at 314-436-7900. Let's go to Ken. Welcome to Overnight America. 
Uh, yeah, Ryan. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Uh, I'm uh, I- I'm going to miss you. I uh, you make my blood boil, and that's good. Mm-hmm. I-, I think that's a-, a good thing, and and you get me. I'm I'm as liberal as you are conservative, so hey, you know I- I- I'm just <laughs> I- I'm I'm going to miss you. Uh, but my- anyway, my question is um, your show. Let me be kind here and say. Uh, it certainly got a conservative flavor to it. And the new show, uh, I, I do know Bo Matthews, uh, oh, his politics. I do not know, uh, what is the woman's name that's uh, going to be? Carol Daniel. So yeah, she yeah, has you know, been with KMOX since the mid-90s and um, mostly in the newsroom. So she's primarily been a newscaster. Okay. And uh uh, my my question, and, and I saw an article in the paper that KMOX is going to try and get away from the political uh, radio. And mm-hmm. is your show going to have less of the politics that your current show does, or are you guys just going to fill it out and see how it goes? I would say that the main primary objective is to not make it a political show. I think that we'll talk some politics I just don't know if it's going to be the first tool we grab out of the toolbox. I I think that with all the other things that go on, there's going to be a lot of local issues we talk about. The idea of doing a local show to replace a syndicated show, it's you can't replace Rush Limbaugh with another political show and expect that um, everything's going to be the same. It just doesn't work that way. We wanted to put together something that was. We're going to look at the local issues. Here's the thing that will impact people locally. It might be a national thing that impacts people locally. It might just be a fun or silly thing, making fun of something locally. I don't know. There could be a lot of those different things. And when you do a political show, normally you have a person that just has a, you know, one hard leaning top uh, point of view. And then you have someone that has the opposite leaning point of view, and then they just go and fight at each other. And it's it's not going to be like that. It's going to be something completely different than a pure political show. Okay. Well, one more question. I'll let you go. Do you think that you're going to be able to be as, well, maybe you've already answered this. Uh, Are you going to be able to be as, as political as you are on your show now with this new show? Mm. Well, I think when the topic presents itself, I'm not going to pretend to be, you know, I'm not going to pretend to be uh, someone that's impartial. So I don't think we're treating this as a news show. We're not treating this as we're we're going to be a, a journalist and we're going to put on our journalist cap and we're going to be right down the middle and we're going to try to be Walter Cronkite. It's nothing like that. I think it's just giving me an opportunity to just do fun and stupid things. I do a lot of that on this show, except that when it gets political, it's, it's political. But I think during the day, it's not going to be me monologuing. It's going to be, here's the topic. I'm definitely going to be conservative in my approach to it. And either they're going to agree, disagree, but they all have different points of view. It's not going to be us arguing over stuff. Well, anyway, good luck uh, to the three of you. And I wish I wish you the best. Thank you, Ken. Have a great one. That's really nice. All right, let's go to uh, Glenn, uh, who's calling in. Welcome to Overnight America. Hey, uh, Glenn Zachary, United States Army, retired 30 years, three tours in Vietnam. Listen, when Tyler Perry made his speech this evening, it was wonderful. But the thing about Mm -hmm. it is this. 
We are all American. White, black, green, yellow, orange, blue. We are American. This is the greatest country the world has ever seen. And these young people today, see, the first problem is that they don't know Jesus. That's another story. But all I called on the show this evening to say was this. God bless America. Mm-hmm. Because if don't if it don't be for all of us, us veterans, all right, you would not enjoy the freedoms that you enjoy, these young people. So now, mm-hmm. I leave you. I agree. With, I leave you with the greatest General George S. Patency. Lest we forget. My man, thank you. And don't you go nowhere. Don't you leave us. <laughs> we need <laughs> Glenn, thank we you. We need you. And My man. Can My I make man. a, you know, yeah. Can I make a quick comparison? And in, in, we don't have a lot of time to discuss it. But That's if right. we look back at how the country treated veterans coming back from Vietnam, we really did a disservice to the way we treated veterans. I feel like we're doing nearly the same thing with police officers today. And it's, it's a shame. We shouldn't be doing that. I, um, I, and, and him bringing that up, we're all Americans. We're all in this together. And Tyler Perry and his speech was just fantastic. I think we just need to be reminded of all the things that are great in this country. And Glenn brought it up. This is Overnight America, KMOX. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 